This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. My co-host today is Mark Muncy from Erie, Florida. Yay! And our amazing guest today is J.R.H. Lawless. Woo! Hey, thanks for having me. We're going to talk about uh, what we're drinking. I went completely basic bitch today, and I have pineapple Trulies. (laughs) Mainly because I found them in the fridge. So I'm super excited about that. That's the Mark. essential criteria on there for a good drink. All right. Well, yeah. I am uh, uh, all uh, coffeeed up with my uh, Ichabod's Dame from uh, Coffee Shop of Horrors, which is the, their pumpkin nice. spice. Uh, and then I'm spicing it a little bit because I've been fighting a little something. So I got a, just a shot of Jim Beam in there, too. So. This is a momentous day. Yeah, I know. Mark's actually drinking it. it never <laughs> yeah. happened. All right. <laughs> this down immediately. Okay. Yep. Ooh, that's good. Jay, what are you drinking? Well, carrying on with the spice train, I'm uh, drinking Grimbergen, which is um, relatively mass produced, but still a Belgian uh, Abbey beer, which also has lots of spices in it, stuff like coriander and orange and stuff this one actually has uh sort of a caramel in it as well so it it almost tastes like a really good creme brulee in liquid form but it's beautiful uh belgian bear for the win (laughs) now i feel super dumb that i'm drinking you guys are like let me not not in the least least. stuff and beer i'm gonna drink my pineapple truly okay cool (laughs) enjoy (laughs) a really horrible accent anyway um so Jay, for those that are not familiar with your awesomeness, can you tell our audience what you write? Uh, I'm a science fiction, mostly science fiction humor author for an adult crowd. Um, so I'm a debut novelist this year. I already had a fair amount of short fiction published, but my first two novels came out right in the middle of the pandemic. So hooray for timing. Um, so the first one's called Always Greener. Uh, it's set in the 2070s, uh, based around a reality show where people around the world compete to prove that they have the worst lives and that they are the 20 cent- 2070s global corporate society's biggest victims and that they have the biggest bragging rights as victims and most entitled to recognition as victims. So that's, uh, that's the concept of the show, and also based around these lenses that they have to have, these implants to broadcast through their eyes for the whole world to just tune in, just like on Twitch, uh, you know, 24-7, uh, to be able to watch their lives and then vote on who has it bad and who maybe doesn't have it quite that bad and should get eliminated from the show. Wow. That reminds me a lot of that Black Mirror episode where you're rated based on your yeah. social media standings. Absolutely. I love that episode. I, I had written this beforehand, but I absolutely also love I mean, Black Mirror in general, but that one in particular. Oh, yeah. No, the first episode of Black Mirror is... <laughs> I love that episode, but most people can't get through that episode. No, like... I think it's it, it set the scene for what Black Mirror is. And I mean, I also write, actually wrote this, uh, well, actually, technically the first two books in the series, the two that are out. The first drafts, I wrote them when I was living in England. Uh, in this little village, uh, stones throw away from the 11th century abbey, crumbling place. 
and um, and our second daughter had just been born. So, um, you know, it's very much English humor as well. It's said in the UK, it uses English, English as well, British English, which anyway, as a Canadian, I'm always sort of on the fence between the two. So I just said, well, let's just go whole hog down the, uh, down the British English <laughs> path. You know, I watched the, um, we're getting so sidetracked. Welcome to Drinking with Authors. Um, hey. I was watching the British baking show last night because I was like, I'm just going to watch it. They did a COVID edition and they're very smart about yeah. it. They actually like sequestered all the humans and mm. said, you can be on the show, but you're going to have to be tested and be away from your family. Like, this is it. We're going to isolate you if you want to be on the show, which I thought was brilliant, actually. But um, they say stuff and I realize there's so much slang. I have no earthly idea. And I'm like, if you said that in America, completely different meaning. I love that. I love the slang so much. I mean, my wife's from the UK and I've learned so much through her and through living in the UK. Um, but also my, one of my big things is etymology is word origins, not just to make it, you know, sort of, you know, this stale academic thing, you know, yes, proto-Indo-European roots and whatnot. It's about, you know, understanding the implications of the words that we're using without necessarily realizing, you know, where this word comes from and the baggage that comes along with it, which is often hilarious, absolutely hilarious. So I use this actually, and this is why I'm really happy to actually be published with a small press for this series, because I was able to do this kind of experimental thing, which is to have footnotes have these etymology footnotes in the book where if there's an interesting word, and often that's an edit. I mean, I'm editing the third book right now in the series, and I'm adding in a lot of these or, you know, like interesting words that I just, you know, did a control alt F, you know, make sure I've got a footnote there ready. Um, and now I'm coming to it and going into my etymology databases and sort of making it actually funny. Um, you know, I, I like doing that because, you know, take a word, look into the connotations, the innuendos, so much sexual innuendo it's incredible in the words that we use uh but also complete reversals in meaning there's so much stuff that's amazing no i agree we have an office in the uk and it's funny because they call me and i work in hr um i'm over all of hr actually i work in hr i'm just um but you are hr you are hr yes <laughs> I, am, I literally am hr but um one of the things that uk office kept saying was we're gonna have an intimate meeting and i'm i i let it go for like four times and i've finally like stop saying that you cannot say <laughs> with anybody and they're like i don't understand and i'm like this is what intimate means to like there's the generic yeah. definition but if you say you're having an intimate meeting with somebody this is what it means. And they were like, literally jaws dropped, but they also corrected me to stop calling it tea and crumpets. And they're like, can you just say tea and biscuits? Cause yeah. a crumpet it, means something totally oh, yeah. You You can have crumpets, but it's, it is, yeah, it's fine. It's just technicalities at that point. <laughs> Your intimate one is much more funny. Yeah, it was just, it was very <laughs> funny. Okay, so um, you have a very interesting history though because you weren't like i'm gonna just be a writer right now so let's let's time warp your sci-fi we can time warp let's do the time warp again okay anyway um <laughs> i talked to somebody who wrote an article on rocky horror and i got mm. so excited and he was just staring at me and i'm like i don't okay but let's <laughs> i was um, sitting right here dancing to time warp not long ago in our Sidfwa, um uh nebula events and another event for halloween again recently uh 
DJed by John Scalzi, who oh, nice. loves playing that song among other songs. So yeah, <laughs> jelly. <laughs> it's fun times. Fun times. So we've now done the time warp. Let's go back to the start of your writing. Mm. Where does it begin? Oh, very start. Um, I mean, I'm a lawyer by profession, uh, but I've always wanted to write. And um, I mean, you know, like lots of people as a child, you know, small things, uh, lots of things linked to school, you know, competitions and stuff that you do, uh, particularly when you're lucky enough and you're privileged enough to have family encouragement around it as well. Um, and I suppose in terms of actually the first thing where I kind of, you know, saw myself and started considering myself as maybe I can start thinking of myself as a writer. Um, I was, I would have been maybe just turned 20 and I was writing something based off of uh, some experiences I had um, studying in Bogota in Colombia when I was 19. Um, that, that, was, that was my second year of, of university. It was my year abroad and just like, you know, why not? I'll sign up for, you know, to go to Bogota uh, just after, you know, this was before the unrest had finished and it actually when I was there, there was quite a lot of, um, quite a lot of, uh, you know, bombs and things going on. And um, just a few bombs. including okay. in Bogota itself, but it was, you know, but yeah, but I was 19. I had no idea what I was getting into, but, you know, I just wanted to, wanted to have a go for it. And I'm, I'm glad I did. And, all in all, uh, but there was one event where um, I was just walking down. This was in the La Candelaria, which is the historical center of the, of the city, uh, which is where the parliament is and all the universities and the, uh, the cathedral and the presidential palace and whatnot, but and also really, really amazing museums. But um, uh, in the 50s, with the beginning of the conflict, most of the rich people fled the center and then sort of lived in these bunkerized uh, zones on the outskirts. And uh, so it's extremely poor, extremely popular in the, you know, population general basic poverty sense uh, in that respect. And um, so that's where we work. That's where the universities were. And I was just walking home and there was this guy who just stopped me in the road, you know, flashed some badge, you know, that could have been anything. And it was literally just about anything and started grilling me and saying, you know, he's from the police and some that and, you know, and, and. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and obviously my relatively basic Spanish, trying to trying to manage very much as a, as a foreigner, and um, I only managed to get out of it when clearly thinking that I was probably rightfully so actually thinking that I was just complete uh, complete uh, um, com naive innocent person that he asked if I had money at my house and that said well I best go get that money pick it up and then come back, you know? And I, I remember as I was walking off, you know, I managed to sell that I was that naive that I was going to go and get the money and come straight back with the money in tow. Um, and so I remember calling out, uh, no, no se demore, no se demore, which is, you know, don't, don't be late, don't be slow, you know, come back quick. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so that experience was, I suppose, the first time I felt, okay, this is something that I, I've lived and I really want to, you know, because then obviously thinking about what could have happened and so on, uh, you know, to flesh out into a, a full-on um, full novel, basically. It was my first sort of novel plot that I remember sort of coming together. Um, and weirdly enough, that was when I was back, because I'm a dual national Canadian French, and I was studying uh, in Bordeaux at the time. Uh, so when I was back in Bordeaux, 
uh, again, trying to sort of, I suppose, come to terms with all this in my experiences, that's when I started writing. And I started writing in French. Um, and I soon realized that writing a novel in French doesn't work for me, even though uh, I'm a French lawyer and it's something, you know, I use the language I use probably because it's the language I use in my work every day and at the time at university every day. Um, writing fiction, and, and also I went through French, you know, school system and lycée and everything. Um, you know, I was trained in, in terms of, of writing in school and through the school system in French. But, you know, I felt like I couldn't write a novel in French. Uh, and it was only then after I was finishing my studies, met my wife, we were living in England, um, and I was just bathing in uh, Terry Pratchett and Douglas Adams and, you know, just soaking it all in uh, that, you know, I really felt, well, I can, you know, I can definitely do this. Uh, I mean, I remember reading, um, said Harry Harrison, Stainless Steel Rat. I was reading through the whole series. And I love the series and I reread it often. But it was, there's always that moment as a writer, I suppose, when you start reading as a writer, as well as reading as a reader, and uh, you have that sort of second level, and including it, when you write yourself at the second level and you start thinking, wait a second, you know, this is great and this is published, but I could do better than this particular sentence, at least, you know, <laughs> this here, I would have done it differently and it would have been better. Um, Harry Harrison is a better writer than I'll ever be, but... You know, there's a, when you have those specific moments where, uh, you know, you have that bit of a click. And I think that that's when, you know, I sort of said, well, I'll, you know, this is something I can allow myself to do, I suppose. You have to give yourself that permission. I think was it Melissa Snodgrass was saying that really well on the show not that long ago. I could not agree more, um, you know, to give yourself you the permission. To yeah. the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, oof. I know, that was the, the wrong, you know, the confession right there. No, no, I think it's, I think it's brilliant. I mean, one of the things I love about doing and talk, doing the show and talking to everybody is you get all of these pieces that I think even trying to look stuff up and do research, you don't get yep. like, you, you know, you it's, there's layers upon layers. I was having a conversation yesterday about editing and I was like, I realized a lot of newer authors i'm not saying young authors anymore because i don't believe that it's an age-based thing it's just definitely decide to jump in the pool right is they don't get what an editor actually does they think they correct like where the commas go in some spelling stuff <laughs> and i'm like no like i bet if i surveyed most newer authors and go do you know what a passive voice is they'd have no fucking clue what i was talking about like you know I mean, there's no, I mean, obviously we've all been there and I'm still on the newer side of, you know, being a published author and, you know, yes, I have my agent and whatever, but, you know, I'm still very much aware that I'm very much new at my debut author this year. But um, at the same time, I think there's less excuse than there may have been in the past for, you know, not being aware of the basics of craft uh, because there's so much available for you as a newer author, yes, or at least as a starting an author starting on your career, which is probably the best way of looking at it. Uh, I hate the expression aspiring author. You're not aspiring to anything. You're putting words down on a page. You're an author and a story. You're an author. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's, no, there's no two ways about it. Um, you can aspire to be an author. It means you haven't put, you're aspiring to sit down and put words on. But the minute you put those words in, you are no longer an aspiring author. If you aspire to be published, you can aspire to all sorts of things. But yeah. an author, you've, you've done that already. You can tick that box. And you don't need some certification to 
have the title uh, or validation of any kind. But, you know, there's so much out there. I mean, when I was just, you know, I had a manuscript and it had lots of interesting plot elements and lots of interesting concepts, but structurally it was a complete mess. Um, you know, there was, uh, I participated in pitch wars, which is fantastic. I participated in all these events and, you know, went to get all these huge resources that exist. Uh, and we're lucky enough in the, uh, in the industry and, and in, in the writing community that there are so many people who, and it's the norm, who want to, you know, to, uh, to give back and want to, you know, I, I've been, uh, I'm part of SIFWA and I've done SIFWA mentorships about half a dozen times now and always it's amazing to just be able including you know from my level I'm, I'm mentoring very new people uh just starting out and you know just to, there's so much out there just to point them towards so you you can find that you know uh for things about passive voice and you know basic you know beat sheets and save the cat or just whatever just structural things that will immediately up your game um and get you through that first step which is presenting something that's in the right format now, in terms of, of path, uh, I was lucky in editors. I was very lucky, personally, to, um, to have a small press, so Upward Books, based out of Nashville, uh, who um, saw the potential in what I'd sent, which structurally was a hot mess, but had you know, that potential they identified, and took the time to write a really nice, detailed uh, revise and resubmit letter, an R&R. &R. And then, obviously, I took that massive editorial roadmap, uh, put the work in, you know, to the letter, split this massive messy manuscript I had into two and fleshed out fully either side to make two full on books, which are the two books that are out currently, Always Greener and The Rudai Rebellion, um, to, uh, you know, to, to, to then be in a position to send it back. You know, you never have any guarantees, obviously, with an R&R. Uh, and then get the book offer, get the deal, which I was then able to uh, take to agents who had shown interest, uh, and much for the same reasons, you know, they loved the first bit, they loved the pages, but as soon as they got the folder, like, oof, you know, this is not ready in any way, shape, or form, um, to go back and say, you know, I I'm aware of why this happened, and these are done the we've done the fixes, and I have a book deal with this offer in hand, could you be interested? And that's how I ended up signing. There was quite a bit of interest, actually, from quite a few agents there. Real switch in the power dynamic at that point in the query process. Yeah. Um, and I uh, ended up signing with my agent, uh, Marisa Corpusero. Right. Very cool. When Okay, so you, you didn't grow up going, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a writer. You followed a path very similar to Snodgrass, actually, because he was a lawyer. Now, you appear to have stayed with it longer than she did because she opted out as soon as humanly fucking possible to get out of that. <laughs> which, which I can totally understand, um, really viscerally, I can understand. But um, uh, for me, my law practice is kind of unique in that I, I work in a small community and I work with um, every single area of law, which is you know, I, I just absolutely love it. You know, so I'll be doing criminal law, I'll be doing commercial stuff, I'll be doing administrative, I'll be doing family law, I'll be doing, uh, you know, all sorts. Uh, and um, that, for my writing, gives me so much human experience to draw on, obviously not directly, but in terms of general inspiration to, you know, show and, and, and to create characters that are as real as possible because I'm, when you're a lawyer, you really go into the depth of somebody's life 
um, and you know that that's that's a really rich uh, soil to, to to grow stories from. Well, I have a question. What is your goal as a writer? So, are you? Well, I'm asking you. That's like, a loaded question. Well, <laughs> it, it is. I mean, I think like for me and Mark, I think we can both say that we would like this to be our full time gig, like writing. Mm. With me, it's writing, podcasting. Um, sure. I have a publishing company. Mark has so many endeavors that involve just entertainment in general around what he writes. I think that's a good way to summarize. That's a good way to that. word it. Yeah, that was For safe. Sure. <laughs> he, he does pod. He's a like he's a big deal. But um, you know, that's what we want to do full time. Mm. Is this? Do you want to be a writer full time? Is that what you want to be when you grow up? Or uh yeah yeah someday um i mean it would be brilliant obviously uh at the same time i don't ever really see myself dropping my legal practice even in the best you know fantasy uh utopian world uh, as opposed to dystopia like the books um i don't ever see myself completely dropping the legal practice you know just because it is you know just so um so so useful in a way beyond the actual work and being useful to people um you know it's also i, th I think there's a lot of uh i don't want to use the word synergy i hate it uh, anyway a lot of uh cohesiveness look at that i pulled another one there you go that's boom that's a good word. love it love it yeah there you go. I'll, I'll use that one. a lot of cohesiveness there completely it's yeah it just, yeah. It just really does form a whole so you know uh that being said in terms of objectives as a writer Obviously, just to get my book in front of as many people as possible is objective number one. Um, I mean, we were lucky enough to get a big book club deal uh, a few weeks back, and we had 20,000 people pick up the first book in the series. Um, so, you know, that's sort of mission accomplished on that front. Then obviously it's, you know, seeing how many of those actually read it, and then of those who read it, how many leave reviews and pick up the Rudai Rebellion, the second book. Uh, but, uh, and then the rest of the series, hopefully once, uh, once I get this third book polished and uh, sent off. So, you know, it's, um, it's, it's ongoing. I think it's, it's good to have milestones, but at the same time, it's, you know, there's no final goalpost and then, you know, you're, you're done with your, your race. It's, it's not even a marathon. It's, it's a, you know, it's, 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 it's a constant thing. <laughs> so you mentioned, uh, Adams, you mentioned Harry Harrison and you mm. mentioned Terry Pratchett. No. Um, uh, I'm going to throw out my, my favorites in the series, you know, like, uh, uh, Nick Pilata, that's a little more mm -hmm. obscure and, uh, and, uh, uh, like Zelazny and some of them, yeah. uh, sure. yeah. So what would you say is closest to your inspiration? What, what's closest to you? Um, to, to, at least to what I write, um, cause those are actually two separate questions, I think, but in terms of what I write, um, definitely, you know, uh, definitely sort of, uh, Douglas Adams, um, hopefully Terry Pratchett someday, <laughs> um, because I would place him above as much as I love Douglas Adams. Um, people have compared, so you were talking about Black Mirror because people have compared my books to a sort of, you know, Black Mirror episode novelization if it were written by Douglas Adams. Because that is very much the voice, you know, uh, and the, the writing style, at least it's British, British humor, uh, British voice set in, you know, uh, in that sort of dystopian, very dark, uh, humorous environment. Yeah. Okay. 
Excellent. You read the? Have you read the authors Mark mentioned? Are those some of your list of things? Well, Zelazny, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you can't really get around Zelazny. A lot of obscure. He was he wrote for mm. TSR and a bunch of other things. He was okay. a ghost writer for a lot of things. He wrote the old Satellite Night News, I think, under the name Jack Hopkins. He, oh, he wrote right. a lot under a lot of pseudonyms. But Do he you was have always a the sci-fi comedy guy. That we'll have to share some links after, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then, yeah, I think him and Spider Robinson used to hang out a lot, so mm. it was like a lot of the Callahan stuff was ghost written by Nick, so it was cool. pretty cool. <laughs> I want my name to be Spider. Okay, we have to take a two second break and we will be right back with Jay. This is the voice of Drinking with Authors. You are at our commercial break, and our commercial is. Hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Mark's about to tell us where to find all of his cool stuff. Uh, you can find most of my stuff at erieflorida.com. Uh, that's where you can uh, link to all my books and uh, my wife's art. And we've got jewelry that she makes uh, based on the art and uh, our reptiles and spiders uh, because she's uh, like uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the Dr. Doolittle, but with uh, reptiles and creepy things. So, <laughs> so many spiders. So many Fantastic. spiders. So many spiders. But uh, yeah, but we were talking uh, while we were on break, uh, real quick, just about some of the classics. We were talking about Spider Robinson, and and yep. I mentioned a name that nobody knew was Nick Pilata. He was a ghostwriter for TSR and a few other companies back in the day, back when they were trying their press. Uh, <laughs> and he did uh, classics like Bimbos of the Death Sun. Uh, when TSR didn't know what the hell to publish, <laughs> and they just threw everything at the wall. Well, I, I Sharon McCrum, did he write that? Sharon McCrum did it, but uh, but um, yeah, but Nick was also one of the ghostwriters on it with him. So that is literally my favorite book of all time. It's <laughs> right? My favorite book of all time. Yep. I brought and it up yesterday because if you're a if you're a nerd, you have to read that book. That it is a great book. Encapsulates any nerd in the but world. It, he's one of those guys awesome. who died. You know, nobody knew who he was. Uh, because he did the, these old Gamma World Endless Quests, yeah, and then he did the Satellite Nine News series, which under the name Jack Hopkins, he did Illegal Aliens. I think is one is most famous because mm. he did that with Phil Foglio, yeah. and that was actually under his own name. Uh, but um, and that's just that's what a ghostwriter does, and that he was my ghostwriter mentor back in the day. So I always feel bad when you know people bring up the greats like Harrison and all that, and I was yeah. like, what about Nick? <laughs> so, oh my god. And well, Douglas rectified Adams that tonight. Favorite. So long and oh, thick. Oh, Douglas Adams, you can't. Yeah, well, that's yeah. the master. So. Yes, he literally is. Okay. So, so he, last chance to see, honestly, is better this, than anything he ever wrote. Yep. It's, it's, I, I love, obviously, all the hitchhikers and, you know, I love to gently above, you know, anything else, fiction. But then, last chance to see, absolutely amazing. It was his favorite. And there's a reason for that. I'm going to have to read oh, that go, one. Go for oh. it, my God, go for it. You're, you're go get the original, and then afterwards yeah. you can go watch the Stephen Fry series. Yes, where they, afterwards. 10 years later, they went back yep. and tried to find all the things. It's 
both inspirational and heartwrecking and so human. Yes, Incredible. very much. I'll have to check it out. That's not normally what I read for, but I will absolutely, hence Bimbo's of the Death's done, but Zombies <laughs> cool, amazing. It's hilarious as well. It is absolutely hilarious as well. Yeah. Book is. I, I'll have to read it. Okay, I have a question. So you did two books out this year in the middle of the brilliant pandemic. Hey, at least your books were not about um, an apocalyptic virus like Jonathan Mayberry and a couple other people that we talked to yeah. where their books coming out and they were kind of like, this is so cool. Finished yeah. this book two years ago. <laughs> Viral marketing, literally. Very literally. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So when is book three due out? Uh, well, I'm still polishing it. We don't have a book deal for that one. So it's a bit early to be talking about dates. Hoping, uh, well, currently we have um, book two is, is only out currently in uh, ebook and hardcover. Then we have the audiobook launch and the uh, paperback coming in February. So, yeah, there's that. And then, so hopefully, you know, whether we keep up the rhythm of, of two launches a year or if it's more of a, of a 2022 deal, we'll see. It could be late 2021. We'll see. That depends on a lot of moving parts, including viral marketing. Uh, so, or at least the viral effects on book marketing. So, yeah. Very How cool. many do you intend in the series? Yeah. Um, if I had to, uh, you know, to, to commit right now, I'd say six. That's what I have plotted out, at least. Um, including, I love, I love doing, you know, little Easter eggs and, you know, leaving clues in hexadecimal or uh, different forms in the books, which nobody has picked up on yet or told me, you know, hey, you know, you put this word in at this point in hex. So, you know, feel free to to be the first, and I will recognize you as such on Twitter. Um, but uh, yeah, so including, I've got a little thing. I'm not going to divulge, but with the there's a reason why I'm saying six, even beyond the fact that that's why I pulled it out story-wise. Uh, link to the titles. So I'll just leave that at that for now. Is is this the only series you intend on doing? Uh, I have two others actually. Uh, the first books of two other series, all set in the same universe, but at different points of the timeline. Uh, currently with my agent. Uh, one being shopped Netflix, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. But anyway, yeah. Um, but anyway, that's all very, very, uh, very hypothetical. But anyway, so there's those two, which again, I love the idea. And plus all my short fiction and these novels and my other novels all set in the same universe, uh, which is, you know, just a bit of an extra promise, uh, kind of like Asimov style to, uh, to the reader, you know, that there'll be, at some point, you know, interactions or references and, you know, they will not be essential in any way, shape or form for, you know, somebody just picking up and that's the first book of mine that they're reading, but also, you know, that much adds value for somebody who has read the other ones, you know, so that's, that's something, you know, well, why, it's, it's a bit more work because you have to make sure everything is obviously 100%, you know, uh, coherent as much as possible, uh, but I think it's worth it because, you know, you're adding that much that much extra value for your, you know, your more uh, uh, stalwart and, you know, uh, systematic readers. So. <laughs> well, speaking of readers, you're, you wrote sci-fi, which is a whole different sort of genre of reader I've discovered than most other readers, because man, the, the sci-fi guys, depending on how deep into sci-fi you go, <laughs> will mm. call you on your shit. Like oh that yeah, that's, yeah. Um, 
I remember I recorded a panel for CIFWA, which actually never got published, hope it will be someday, on uh, hard versus soft science fiction. And I was, it was, it was Avengers Civil War themed. And I was uh, Iron Man because I was team hard science fiction. Uh, and so he was the one incarnating sort of the, incarnating, sorry, the whole um, hard science fiction side of things, which anyway, but within Marvel, I guess. Um, and yeah, it's real. I think, you know, hard science fiction is again, all about that promise uh, that you're making to your reader that you will, to the best of your ability, make an effort to have things that could potentially be credible and are at the very least explained uh, with some reference to plausible scientific actuality. Um, and that's why I love things like um, in all my books, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily that limited. In all my books, I have um, you know, a space travel based on photonic thrust, which is something that exists 100% in terms of, of theory and even prototypes. It's used uh, at the sort of geo level today uh, for a lot of things, precision uh, manipulating, and the science and the maths are there, including you know, YK Bay uh, was, a, was an amazing research on that. Uh, you can reliably with a system like that, obviously you need to explain where the energy comes from and have all the systems in place, but you can reliably reach uh, include, you know, near relativistic speeds, you know, 0.1 C, uh, you can reach that with just a, a, a constant uh, 1 G propulsion. So it feels like you're on Earth just from your acceleration. And yet at that speed, uh, you can reach in not that long, you know, 0.1 C, which makes, you know, travel to Alpha Centauri, for instance, possible. Um, it's, uh, it's actually amazing. Um, and makes, you know, a trip to Mars take a week. Uh, including, you know, flipping around and decelerating. So I call it the light way. So, you know, it's, it's basically this light-based railroad that you ride, you know, going with one track accelerating out and one track, you know, decelerating in. That, that's basically the idea. And it works. The science actually does work. So that's an example. You know, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I'm not a, you know, um, aerospace engineer or anything like that. But again, just like the craft, there are so many materials out there today you know, it's so easy to access scientific papers. It's so easy to access all these elements, uh, you know, that you can put, you know, put your best effort in and you can get there, which doesn't mean that I won't have a thousand people calling me out and say this is complete crap. And, you know, all the better if they do. That means I've had a thousand people at least who've read the book and cared enough to put something in, right? So, <laughs> well, bring it on. You know, it's interesting because talking to sci-fi writers and stuff like that, um, it, it, I, I think that's an interesting point, especially when you get, and when we get back to a point where you're doing in-person events and you have fans stand mm -hmm. up to, you know, explain, you know, I, hey, I have this question. I mean, that was a famous part of Galaxy Quest when they mm -hmm. showed up with the maps that uh, have captain. Best, best movie. Shared that with my children recently. Best movie. In Still holds God. up. Oh my God, so good. Yeah, was, <laughs> some famous uh, film critics said there's only five perfect movies in history, mm -hmm. and it was like, yep, Citizen Kane, and uh, you know, yep. the Splendor in the Sun, <laughs> and uh, being there, and Galaxy Quest, definitely Galaxy <laughs> Quest. Like, yes, can't argue. And the the making of documentary they did as well is absolutely fantastic. The recent it was on Amazon Prime actually. Check it out. It's so. Was oh, it the I Never see. Surrender? Yes, that's yes, the one. I went to yeah. the Very good. Saw Very that good. when we could still do that. <laughs> back then <laughs> no no it's one of my favorite movies but 
again, that was more soft science fiction because that was yeah. like, you oh, know, and then they showed up, which is what Star Trek is because. Exactly. Uh, but um, still not as bad as Star Wars. Don't get me started. I mean, you can do if you want. I love both. But <laughs> Star Wars just is a pure example of soft science fiction. Sorry for interrupting you on that. But soft science fiction, just for the sake of whatever works, whatever a writer thinks is required to make the story cool, that's what is it makes sense in the universe now. And no care whatsoever for either explaining anything or even less, and that's what's worse, what other people thought was cool and made sense in the universe. You know, we're talking about like, you know, 50 years ago, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of amazing, you know, so. Oh no, I, I was there at opening night of Star Wars at the church. Yes. I'm not, I'm not gonna get into this. I listened to all that. <laughs> I wish I was. Sci-fi. My, my wife, my <laughs> wife was a lot closer to that. Yeah. yeah, I'm not going to get into the hard sci-fi of the first Star Wars because I'm like, you know, they use orbitable <laughs> no, it's, it's, to do the orbital. Bomb. None of it makes any sense. But no, that's they, cool they, because the expectation is it's just there to be a cool story, and that works. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, I'm not one of these high, harder science fiction people who also does comedy and ridiculous stuff, um, who says that you know it has to be this. And you know, no, there's nothing wrong with soft science fiction at all. And soft science fiction is great as a tool to serve a purpose, which is just forget about all that. And I just want to use things. I'll make a cool story and, and great. You know, it works for Star Wars. It works for Star Trek. No, agreed. And, you know, more power to him. And, and with sci-fi comedy coming back, I mean, look at yeah. Star Trek Lower Decks. Oh my God. <laughs> best yeah. Trek so ever. Good. Even though yeah, I'm loving Discovery, but yeah. Lower Decks is so good yep. for everybody, for the diehard and fans. You've got things like Rick and Morty. You've got yeah. authors like you know David Wong's now doing. He went from horror to cy you know, cyberpunk, and you've got you know Yahtzee Croshaw doing yes. you know his stuff now with the We'll Save the Galaxy for Food and all that. Yeah. I love that there's this boom in sci-fi comedy, and you're riding that wave. So, <laughs> what is? Give me your. What would if you're you got the elevator pitch right? You got the guy. Yeah. You mentioned the Netflix thing, so let's let's say you got the guy in there. How do you pitch your 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 book right now? Give him give him the elevator pitch. Um, I'll cheat and not so much do the Twitter thing, but what I would say is simply it's uh, a book all about uh, ridiculous reality show antics in the future, leading to um, revolution and the inspiration of direct democracy. Uh, laced with Marxist revolutionary theory and etymology jokes. Fantastic. Very good elevator pitch. Not all authors have those. <laughs> I have a question. You talk, you said Terry Pratchett. Yep. He's fantasy. There's a lot of fantasy there with Mr. Pratchett. He's not, he's not only fantasy. I mean, I right here next to me, I've got, you know, Strata and, uh, you know, Dark Side of the Sun. I've got all that right here. We are not defending <laughs> Pratchett right now. We are getting to an Erica question. Sorry. <laughs> I'm all ears. Erica truly question. Point made. Um, do you... <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I bring up the drink I'm drinking, a point should be made. But do, is sci-fi your only genre that you want to do? Or... Yeah, no, that's, that's a good question as well. Um... I have every now and again branched out to a little bit of fantasy, my short stories at least, a little bit of fantasy, a little bit of historical fiction. Um, 
uh, particularly based around Prohibition era, which is uh, something I'm, uh, we're talking about. It's a drinking, you know, drinking show. I know quite a bit about that. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, I, I don't know. Just just science fiction and science fiction humor is just my jam. It's um, I don't know. It just it just calls to something very very deep within me. So I don't really necessarily see me see myself, you know, writing you know, massively other genres. I mean, I'd love to do fantasy, you know, I mean, portal fantasy is fantastic. Um, so many great things you can do. I mean, you know, look at somebody like Jim Butcher, what he's been able to do with urban fantasy is just, just, you know, out of this world. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a big gamer. Uh, I met my wife in World of Warcraft. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, loads of role-playing games. Uh, tabletop, uh, you know, we played Call of Cthulhu tons, and obviously D and D just goes without saying. You know, Traveler and uh, Pathfinder, whatever you want, companion? right? So, sorry. Are you gonna make your world into companion pieces for stuff out there? <laughs> I would. You know, somebody somebody wants to pay me, I, I would take that and run <laughs> country mine. Oh, it's if they do pay you, it's gonna be like three dollars. <laughs> So, yes, uh, that, that would that would be enough. Out. That would be that would be perfect. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> professional kid. It's a paid gig. You're good. <laughs> I would I would love to. I would absolutely love to. Because you could do some really cool things as well. I mean the, the show itself, uh, it's called um, it's called The Grass is Greener. That's the title of the show, uh, because that's the whole point. But turned on its head, you know, it's the grass is is you know, finding where the grass is the less green in a way. You know, it's finding the worst lives. And um, it would make a great concept for a show because you could have all your characters immediately, you know, the structure is there built in, you know, your character could be a contestant on the show and you could have all these different contestants on the show. And you could even have a game system based around also appealing to the audience and all these lights. You could do so much. I could easily, easily make a really cool game system around that. <laughs> I'm just going to say I've, I've seated this now. We do, we do feel that, right? That is there. That's official. That's recorded. Drop the seed. Special thing. <laughs> when you, um, you know, I have um, friends that are lawyers. Nobody would believe that from talking to me most of. But um, one of them said something really interesting to me. Is he actually got into law because he liked to write? Mm. There's and a huge amount of writing in law. There's no doubt about it. I spend my days, you know, writing. You know, in the French system, you know, they're called conclusions. You, know, you write these conclusions before you've done anything, the first thing you write is conclusions um, and, and assignation, whatever. It's all these technical terms. But yeah, it, it's basically, you know, not only, it, it, it's lying for a living, just like writing is, just like writing fiction is at least. It's 100%, you know, it, or at least embellishing the truth for a living or formatting the truth for a living. You know, it's, uh, yeah. I think it's telling your story. <laughs> which may not be the whole story or have many nuggets of truth in it, but it's your story. Kind of like every person you talk to, I mean, Mark with his um, historical stuff talks to people, you can talk to 10 different people and they have 10 different stories about the it, same it, thing that happened. Yeah. And it becomes the, well, this happened, but it may not all have happened or it may mm. not have happened exactly this way. And that's, that's yeah. how it works. You know, that's, yeah, but just like fiction, it's tailored for an effect. Wouldn't have been it's, so much cooler if exactly. it happened this way. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. And this is the version we have because this is what, you know, people want to believe to get to this specific, you know, uh, specific effect in terms of, you know, pride over an event, a locale, uh, whatever, you know, it's, it all has a point, just like, you know, just like my legal briefs. <laughs> so when you're writing, who's your 
favorite character in your books? Um, the main character in the books is the host of the show, uh, who is the unluckiest bastard in the history of the universe because he, he's a well-wishing, fundamentally kind of humanist person who is a pure product of this corporate 2070s world state system and ends up becoming host of the show because he's convenient and thinks very naively, you know, even though in the first book he's, you know, he's, uh, he's already, you know, pushing his 40s um, and, and, you know, goes very much downhill from there. Um, you know, that he, uh, you know, that, that he, he might be able to use his position, his job to do something good, yeah? Uh, and fails miserably every step of the way. That's, you know, it's, it's kind of um, also, I was talking with, uh, on, on Twitter, I think it was Ariel de Baudin, actually, that we were exchanging on Twitter with, somebody I met through Sifwa as well, is absolutely fantastic. I recommend her work in a completely different, obviously, <laughs> from what I do. And I would say probably uh, a lot more praiseworthy, but um, uh, you know, about how you don't have enough stories where uh, characters try things and fail. You don't have enough stories about characters who aren't the chosen one and who don't you know, suddenly succeed, or if they do fail, it's just a temporary thing because you know, we're at the end of act three and we need to move into act, end of act two, sorry, we need to move into act three. Um, my, my books are about somebody who has the best intention of the world, of the world, sorry, well, the world even, because it's solar system based and there are more worlds than just Earth, actually, that are already colonized. Um, I'll talk about that later if you want, but um, uh, who keeps trying and, and constantly, constantly, constantly fails. But even his failure, in a way, builds up, builds up, you know, slightly incremental changes, which do, and that's in the third book, uh, that I'm polishing uh, do lead to actually major, uh, major world repercussions and, and you know, changing, changing things for the best, hopefully. I think that's awesome. I, <laughs> I have to say the hardest book I ever wrote so far to date was a book where me and a friend co-wrote it and the characters are just terrible people. And we yeah. were like, consciously made the decision not to make them better at the end. They go yeah. through a lot of adventure. Yeah. You're not fucking better at the end of the book. <laughs> it would have been earned, but it doesn't happen anyway. That's so good. Yeah, no, so it's good. terrible. <laughs> but I'll tell you, as a writer, it was very difficult, even though all my horror stuff doesn't have any happy endings. Nobody's mm. better off at the end of that. But yeah. um, it, it's not the same as writing characters that literally almost have no arc because they yeah. don't, they like flatline, but you still have to make them entertaining at the end. Yep. As long as there's some arc, I mean, it doesn't have to be mm. your growth. Like, the arc can be that there is no growth. That's the beauty of yeah. that. So, uh, yeah, but I think it is a little more difficult to write something like that, you know, kind of. Very much, because yeah. it goes against all the same expectations. Cats, some of the other things we've 100%. talked about. Yep. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk about your world building for a moment. So it sounds like it's not world building, it's universe building. Uh, on the larger scale, yes, that's, that's or at least interstellar world building. Uh, I have other books set in the same universe down the line, which are uh, interstellar based. But um, these ones, at least, are very much within our solar system, very much also within sort of the starting point of the projection of the universe. So... 
you know, there is travel. We were talking about photonic thrust. Uh, you know, there is there is the moon serving as a staging point, and there is uh, Paradise Mars. So Paradise Mars is this big concept at this point of the timeline, uh, which is really important for the series, at least for the both the series, but also the the show uh, and the different seasons of the show because um, it, the grand prize for the biggest loser of the universe, of the world, of the 2070s corporate world state is uh, a life of luxury on Paradise Mars with the corporate elite. And that's the end goal of the climbing the corporate chain for all these people is to get to retire in this life of luxury and tailored gravity on this station, which is actually well, the hollowed out husk of Phobos, Mars's moon. So Phobos, which actually obviously means fear originally, uh, the Greek god of fear, which again is just very symbolic, uh, it's hollowed out and turned into this luxury extraterritorial station where there are no laws. Uh, I, I put a lot of legal systems, I talk about legal systems in science fiction, a lot of different conventions at, at the Nebulas and at Worldcon and WFC recently. And um, uh, I, I do a lot of that to you know, just show that, that that drive in a way the drive to the stars in this world, which I think is probably not that far-fetched, is to just to escape laws and to have this established place beyond any national sovereignty claim possible, possible where the corporations can do whatever the hell they want uh, to whoever the hell they want. <laughs> so it's, you know, so it's, yeah. So how do you keep the Bible, though, of all of this? So you're a lawyer, so I already mm. know by default you have hopefully meticulous note-taking. Um, <laughs> I'm just yeah. that. <laughs> that remembers people's names. There, there's a expression in French. Uh, it's the shoemaker who always has the worst shoes. Yes. Uh, so um, I'm a lawyer. Professionally, I would agree with you. In my personal life and in my writing, that is is extremely funny. Um, no, so the, 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 the I, I've done I've done book bibles, but I do a book bible when my agent says we need a book bible to send this to Netflix. Um, uh, no, uh, that's it's just you know, it's 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 in my brain for now, and hopefully, my brain has the RAM to keep coping with that. And that's about it, basically. You, did you <laughs> one when you wrote two, or because you wrote them together, it was fairly easy to split? Oh, those ones were, yeah, it was, it was uh, well, the split was at a relatively natural place, luckily. But then obviously I had to completely rework both sides into fully fleshed out and, you know, three, three act proper arc novels. So, um, but at least in terms of world building and consistency, that was relatively easy, yes. It did help from that point of view. But again, I'm, we're talking about, you know, because I have those two other series uh, with the first books currently with my agents, my agents, sorry, there's uh, all the short stories and all that has to stay consistent. Uh, I think I've achieved it, but again, I would be ecstatic for somebody to tell me I'm wrong and to show me how. Right. And yeah. <laughs> I gotta ask, are there aliens? Um, not in the <laughs> traditional sense. Not in the traditional sense, in right. the furthest fusion, which is um, my space lawyer book. Uh, I have a book which is a the first book of a science fiction legal thriller series. That's the furthest 
uh, in the future uh, of what I've written so far. And that involves extraterrestrial life, um, but not necessarily aliens as you would think about traditionally. Okay. It's it's funny. I saw a, a meme today that had me laughing so hard, and it said, "When aliens actually arrive and they read, this isn't the whole thing, but it was basically about reading alien human romance novels, and how <laughs> they're going to explain everything wrong." Yeah. And I and I think of that when I think of, you know, obviously it's fiction, but I think of these things, and I think eventually when they do arrive because i'm trying to believe they're out there and we'd be dumb to think mm. they weren't oh for sure what will they think when they get to some of our literature on stuff going even just uh yeah even just the probing you know why why <laughs> would you know what's this obsession with getting probed you know why would we ever want to do that <laughs> that or they show up and they go no that's in the accurate part so um <laughs> we did right you got right so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it would yeah. be very. People I've fun. interviewed, they're you know they, they'll they'll tell you no, that's the only part they get right. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> gotta love the probing. Okay, we are actually getting. Gotta love the probing. Wow, I'll be quoted on this. There's your there's your quote right there. It's a probing that's question the, at least. Title. Right there. That's the title of the episode. <laughs> gotta love the probing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll tell me where to sign. Though. Don't have it. <laughs> people to answer to so when i do (laughs) nobody can say anything okay we're nearing the end of the episode jay what advice would you give authors out there um the the first advice i always always use is uh pretty much stolen from a lot of people but uh, i think chuck wendig probably put it best in uh, some amazing uh, you know craft books that he wrote uh, kick-ass writer uh, among other ones um, and uh, Dan Fine Story is another great one as well. And what he says is, um, as he put it, just, you know, do the thing, write the thing, finish the thing, send it out, start on the next, next thing. And that's probably the most important bit is the starting on the next thing. And especially when it's your first, say you want to be a novelist, but same goes for short stories. It's your first one that you've done, that you've completed, you poured your heart and soul into it. And it's the easiest, but also the most dangerous thing in the world to think, this is the one, capital T, capital O. Um, that is probably the worst thing you can do for your chances of success as a writer in general, and especially for your career ongoing, is just to pin all your hopes, put them all in one basket, and then obsess over it because we're all extremely obsessive people or else we wouldn't be doing this. So um, to, you know, to do that is, is incredibly dangerous. What you need to do as best you can, and that's extremely difficult to do, that has to be the objective is to do your job 100% to give yourself the liberty to say I've done as much as I can for this this is as best as I can make it on my own to send it out that's where Edward's coming afterwards anyway to send it out and then to as best you can forget it and work on the next thing what will happen with that will happen one way or the other you obsessing about it does nothing to impact that one way or the other or it could harm it if you end up, you know, sending messages to people. It's like, ah. Time is such a uh, meaningless notion in writing industry. It's, it's, you cannot, that's probably, again, the first thing to know is just forget about any notion of time. Uh, things will take the time they take, and there's 
very, very little you can ever do about it, especially when you're starting off and you're in the querying process or you're you know, sending in manuscripts if you don't need an agent to different venues, whatever, uh, different markets for short fiction. Uh, forget about time. All you can control is that you just keep on working on one thing and working on the next thing, the next thing after that. Uh, and it's also the best thing you can do that eventually it will click and, you know, and things will take off. Awesome. And then shameless self-promotion, how do people find you? Uh, shameless, definitely, and lawless as well, hence the, uh, the pen name. Um, so yes, again, I'm Jerry Lawless. You can find me. Um, uh, so lawlessauthor.com is my website. Uh, on Twitter, definitely hit me up at Space Lawyer SF, Space Lawyer Science Fiction. Um, if any comments, any questions about anything whatsoever, uh, definitely feel free to uh, send them over there. And my two novels currently out are um, Always Greener, which is the first book in the series, uh, currently on sale. It's available in all formats, including audiobook, but um, it is currently the ebook. It's currently on sale, I think, for 99 cents. So feel free to uh, take advantage of that while it lasts. Excuse me. And the second book, *The Rude Eye Rebellion*, uh, is currently out in ebook and uh, special edition paper uh, hardback. Sorry, with uh, the special deal for the hardback that if you do buy it and then post a picture uh, of yourself with it on Twitter uh, and obviously tag me on that at SpaceLawyerSF, uh, then we'll get into touch on DMs and I will send you a postcard with a personalized limerick using a word of your choice that I have to incorporate into the limerick as part of a, you know, because we can't sign books anymore. Uh, so we had to find something and that was the idea we came up with my editor. So please feel free to uh, take advantage of that. I look forward to incorporating uh, smorgasbord into a limerick. <laughs> Gauntlet thrown. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. It really was enjoyable having you. I love this show so much and I look forward to listening and all the other episodes. Awesome, awesome. Okay, well, this has been Drinking with Authors. I've been Erica Lance, and my co-host today is... Mark Munson from Erie, Florida. Yay, and we will see you next time. Take care.